Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Hey, welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. Hey, I'm Drew Jordan. We're so excited to be back plugging away more episodes coming your way. Uh, it's been super fun. If you missed the announcement about the Tuesday mic, we're changing the format of that a little bit and the timing. We're still going to do it, but not every week. We'll find some fun ways. Who knows? Maybe we'll have some guest visit, but moving forward, not going to be every Tuesday. So thanks to everyone who has been a part of that. It's been super fun getting to know all you guys. And we'll still keep, we'll find some fun ways to to reinsert it uh, when it makes sense. So life's just getting busy. And, uh, you know, thankfully it's all good things and good comedy things. And we just need to reallocate some resources. Absolutely. But you can still find all of our podcasts that we've done on Breaking Down Bits Dot com and of course anywhere you get your podcast and YouTube, but uh, certainly uh, want to check back in, do our callbacks on our last episode with Nick Yusuf. What you got, Drew? Yeah, I mean, he was so kind to give us some time while he was on the road, headed to a gig, and um, I think some of the things that stood out to me was one his perseverance, and I think that's key for any comedian. You you have to kind of persevere. He talked about his time early at the comedy store and the hoops he had to jump through just to get stage time. Uh, was, uh, it's, a, it's great. Catch, find that part of the podcast for sure. And also just a, a really simple thing that um, I totally have used in my comedy writing and is just simply write it down. Always don't wait. Don't think you're going to remember it. You never do. And then you kick yourself and that one little nugget, as he said in the episode, that one idea, that one phrase, that one fragment could become a killer seven minute bit that you missed out on just because you didn't have the, you know, a phone handy or a pad handy to write it down. So no matter what, no matter how dumb you think it is, write it down. I've been on both sides of that where, where I've forgotten to write it down and then it just it's gone and never coming back. And then times when I write down something like I write, I write down cat asshole. I just write down those two words. And <laughs> well, it that makes, was just fun. It was just yeah. a stream of consciousness. That's just what was. <laughs> and it turned into one of my favorite bits. Right. So uh, make sure, even <laughs> if it's just a note, you know, that, that can, can can fire back up wherever that, that train of thought was. You never know where it can lead. Uh, for me, my favorite part of the episode was when he talked about, we were talking about his breaks that he got along the way and he talked about taking an acting class and, and that's where he met somebody that helped, uh, break him into acting and so getting some acting gigs. Uh, I just think about like going into the parallel arts, be it acting, improv, writing, those types of things. I think sometimes in comedy we get, and especially in stand up, we get siloed into our own little worlds, into our own communities and stepping out just a little bit and then stepping out of your comfort zone could be a great way to network, expand your skill set and was something that he considered to be a big break in his career. So uh, something yeah. I, I was almost inspired to take sign up for one uh, this morning, Drew, and then I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, so we all know that, uh, you know, it, unless you are at the top tier or very nearby, you know, comedy, it can be hard to find income as a comedian. And so this does opens up i mean he, he's a writer for esquire and uh brooklyn magazine 
and that's just kind of something that happened through us. So you never know what kind of things you might uh, uncover and opportunities you might find just by stepping out of that comfort zone. So check that episode out, breakingdownbits.com, anywhere you get your podcasts and YouTube. Ready to bring in our guest? Yeah, let's go. Matt Reif is a stand-up comedian and actor originally from Ohio. Matt first started stand-up comedy at the age of 15 and has since toured around the world with some of the biggest names in comedy, including Dave Cook, Ralphie Mae, Mike Epps, and Eric Griffin. And now living in Los Angeles, Matt is the youngest male regular performer at the world-famous Laugh Factory. As an actor, he got his breakout opportunity when he was a leading cast member on MTV's hit show, Wild and Out, Season 7. Hey, Matt Rife. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? You guys, uh, you guys use the bio my agent uses. Damn. <laughs> How are you guys? Doing well, doing well, man. Good to good to be uh, back hanging out with you. You were just in Houston a couple weeks ago. Had a killer weekend. Uh, it was so fun watching you work and excited to see you know, this next hour that you're working on, uh, if it, if it's, if it was done today, it would be great, but I know you're still going to put in more work in, but super fun working with you. Dude. Thank you, man. Likewise, dude, the shows were so much fun. Um, the new hour I'm building is, uh, very difficult. Uh, it's, it's easier in the sense of like, after I, after I put out my first special a couple months ago, I kind of, it's almost like my voice kind of hit me. So it's like, it's easier to figure out material, but it's so much harder in the sense that like, I had 10 years of working on my first specials material. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, okay, I'm going to pick and find the best things for over the past 10 years and we could just put it out there. But now it's like recrafting all these bits and starting from scratch is fucking difficult, man. But yeah. you know, you got to love the process or you wouldn't do it. Yeah. That's what they say. Like, especially in music, they say you have your, you have your whole life to write your first album. Mm. And then after that, you know, there's a, there's a timeline. Exactly. And I do feel that I know a lot of comedians are like, no, as long as you put one out like every like three or four years, it'll be fine. But I want to do that. I like pushing myself to have the discipline to like, you know, if Chappelle and Chris Rock are putting out a new hour every year. It's like if I could at least do one every year and a half, uh, then I'll, I'll have more self-respect, I think. <laughs> that's a tight timeline but uh exciting i mean like i said you're already making great progress on that hour so i have no thank you man uh, i think you're gonna i think you're gonna nail it thank you houston was uh very receptive so i'm thankful for that so thank you guys for having me yeah you're well on your way man uh you started when you were 15 actually didn't didn't get that idea when we met uh that's uh that's pretty remarkable so how did that how did that begin how did you how were you able to even get into clubs at 15 oh man i um so I became like a, a fan of comedy when I was like like 13, 14 of like Dave Chappelle and Dane Cook. And then my mom won tickets on the radio to see Dane Cook at Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio, when I was like 14. And uh, we had like nosebleed seats, of course. And uh, <laughs> I, we went and it was just like, wow, like this is what I want to do. So I remember like the next day I went to school in seventh grade and this girl, Amanda, who sat next for no reason at all. Uh, never had a discussion like this. She just leaned over. She's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I was like, "Oh, I think I want to be a comedian." And like on cue, as soon as I said that, my teacher came in and announced that we're having a school talent show. So I did like a school <laughs> talent show in seventh grade when I was fourteen, and I loved that. I mean, it was horrible, but <laughs> uh, I, I just still really was a fan of it. And when I was fifteen, I just became more and more in love with it. 
I was watching, I was like living off of Comedy Central's like half hour specials that they put out at the time. It was like those early 2000s specials. And uh, there was a, a club about 40 minutes away from me in Columbus called the Columbus Funny Bone. Uh, and they're, you know, a very famous franchise and an incredible club. Uh, and I, I looked up these things called open mics, never heard of them before. And I was like, I guess this is where people get started. And every comedy club is pretty much 21 and up. So I had emailed the owner, um, which I now know is like a crazy thing to even think to do. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, I'm only 15 and I know you guys are 21 and up, but like, if I had like a parent with, come with me or something, could I try your open <laughs> mic? And he said, yes. For some reason, I don't know why. I mean, if, if I was the club owner, I definitely would have been like, how would I risk my liquor license over like a 15-year-old kid? Like, why even <laughs> risk it? There's, there's no pros to this. But he said yes, and um, I started going to the open mic every single, I think it was Tuesdays at the time, and um, things just kind of snowballed. So it's like a 40-minute, you, you lived 40 minutes outside of Columbus, and that's where the mic was? And yeah. your, par- your parents would drive you every Tuesday? Is that kind of the move, or...? Yeah, about six months into that, I ended up moving in with my grandpa who lives in Columbus. And he, for the most part, it was a, a bringer open mic. So, like, you get on the show, but you had to have, I think it was five people had to buy tickets to see you. And my grandpa would just buy five tickets. They were like $5 <laughs> each. So he would spend like $25. And they don't, I mean, the club is another difference, you know? Yeah. Um, so we would just do that like every week. It was nice. But like I, I liked starting there because open mics were like actually legitimate stage time. Like you would, it was five minutes in front of probably on average like thirty people, which is so much more doable than I, how many mics have you guys done where it's like two people and all comedians? You're like, this isn't gonna be beneficial at all. Most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How those, exactly. How were those drive homes? Uh, after your first couple of open mics and you got 40 minutes to drive home with mom after you probably just <laughs> ate it hard in front of a, a bunch of people. <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous to say it. I've never really reflected on it. So it's a great question, but I really only had like, um, maybe a, a handful of bad shows starting out. But yeah. I mean, I can't chuck that up like, oh, I was just always so funny and I always had good sets. Like, that's not true. My second set ever is the reason why I don't do big act outs. I did this. <laughs> I was like so confident from the first show that I tried like this bit where I like fell on the floor, like crying drastically. And it was just <laughs> silent. And I had to get up off the floor. <laughs> and to this day, I'm like, I won't, I will never do an act out that big ever. But I kind of had the factor of being a kid on my side. It's like, nobody's going to boo a kid. You know what I mean? So I kind of had that on my side, but at the same time, you also have people that are like, I don't want to see a kid. So like, he's got to make me laugh or I'm just going to stay here and be silent. So I mean, it's pros and cons, I suppose. But most of the time my mom thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) I will say there's something special about going to your first open mic and getting laughs that first time. Uh, I, I, didn't have a killer set my first open mic, but I did get a lot of laughs uh, in the in the five minutes I got. Uh, most of the most of the jokes hit. I mean, I'm not saying like hard laughs, but they got a laugh, and right. that was the fuel, just enough fuel that I needed to be like, okay, I've got Absolutely. something here. I should follow this up. Yeah, because most comedians, it's like you're usually a, a funny person with your friends or family or whatever it may be. And once you get that laughter, you get comfortable. You gain that confidence. And then it just takes years and years of getting that from strangers before you're finally that that same comfort comfortability 
on stage. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was very, I was very lucky. People were receptive my first couple of years in comedy. And, um, for the most part I had really, really good shows. I performed in a lot, a lot of unconventional circumstances, <laughs> um, which now looking back, I'm like, why the fuck would I have done that? But you have, you have to perform in uncomfortable situations. So that way you're prepared for anything. Give us, give us an example. You got to hear some of these situations. So a lot of my stage time in the beginning of my career was all black shows. Uh, I grew up with all black friends and uh, a lot of my material skewed towards that. And mm. black took me very quickly, especially when I was a kid. Um, and black people were just so much more supportive and gave me a lot more opportunity and booked me for a lot more shows um however a lot of urban black shows whatever you want to call them shows at least around columbus they were more like lounge type shows mm. uh where it's like a live band in front of like you know 13 people a live band's playing like jazz or like a singer or something like that and then a comedian goes up and it's just it's just horrible for comedy it's not good at all. there's never like a set tone to the show um, there's no momentum from like somebody having a good set in front of you. It just completely <laughs> resets. And again, being the only white person on the show and being a kid, a lot of times people don't want to see you at all. Um, you just have to work that much harder. Um, but the good thing about black crowds is like if black people fuck with you, they really fuck with you. So if you're on the good side, you're good. <laughs> um, and those, yeah, I did do, I did so. That was probably half of my stage time was like those lounge type shows, which I know to a lot of people might not sound that crazy or that uncomfortable, but it fucking is. Performing yeah. comedy at a non comedy event is uh, incredibly uh, awful. At least you weren't doing like your friend's birthday parties or something like that. No, I, that happened. <laughs> however, I did do probably the most uncomfortable show I've ever done in my entire life. Maybe a year ago, a friend hit me up and was like, Hey, uh, he, he's, uh, just, I don't know exactly what he does. He's like an investor, I suppose. And he, you know, he, he connects a lot of people. Yeah. And he was like, Hey, I have drug this, dealer. Uh, sounds, like yeah, drug dealer. <laughs> sounds like a drug dealer. <laughs> so he was like, I have 1500 for you to perform at this guy's birthday party to do 20 minutes. And I was like, 20 minutes? Sure. And uh, so I, I sh- he's like, yeah, you're featuring for this comic that I also knew. And then he's bringing his own like host or whatever. And we're like, all right, cool. So we show up at this house in Beverly Hills and it looks empty, dead, like nothing's happening. So we just walk inside the house. No one opens the door. We just walk in <laughs> and there's just like a family of like four <laughs> women and like three kids and like two dudes just in the house that looked like, it looks like they're like mid move in. Like everything, it's empty in there. And we're like, hey, we're the comedians? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're going to start the show in like probably like 30 minutes. Uh, the guy who you're here to perform in front of is upstairs asleep. And we're like, what? They're like, yeah, we're trying to wake him up right now. We're like, yeah, that's usually the best audience. Someone who you woke up. Imagine how how angry you'd be being woken up to be like, hey, wake up. There's people here to make you laugh. Like, ah, they better be so fucking full. (laughs) So it's us three. And there's also a a band there that's setting up of uh, like eight or nine musicians, uh, all black. So who are performing for is this, this Jewish guy and his family for his birthday. 
So we postponed the show like an hour trying to get him to get up out of bed. And he gets up and he's so drunk. Like it's very clear why he was asleep at like 7.30 p.m. And finally he goes up on the microphone and he's like, ah, we're getting the show started. And it just says the first comic's name. The first comic just goes up. And now like you're, like you're in the li- you're standing in the living room facing towards the kitchen. And the room is divided. On the right side is this Jewish family. Left side is this black band who also doesn't want to be there. (laughs) And the first comic goes up and just bombs for like 10 minutes. And he's like, all right, your future comic, Matt Ripe. I go up there and I was like so mad at the circumstance that I just roasted everything about it i roasted the family i roasted the band i roasted the house everything and just talked just genuinely riffed on how awkward the entire situation was for everybody and crushed for like 20 minutes crushed introduced the headliner and like on the on the handshake of bringing him to the stage i was like i'm out of here first set left and my friend calls me and is like hey the guy enjoyed your set so much he's doubling your pay Whoa! We got three grand for, I mean, a painful It's like, you never know what's going to come in these situations. Yeah, you so. got to. That's true, man. You got to kind of, you got to take them. You just don't, fuck, you don't know. You Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know. It could be, it's, it's either the circumstances sound like they're the worst ever, and it could end up being double your pay, three grand. You just don't know. I think the moral yeah. of this story, the moral of the story is if a Jewish man says, come to my house and do comedy, you say yes. Always like that, say yes. That is the new comics. Never Always. forget that rule. <laughs> Write that one down in your book. <laughs> Dude, it felt like I had to fuck somebody at the party. Like, it felt like I was hired to fuck somebody. It was so uncomfortable. Comedy seemed like the last thing that was supposed to happen at this event. No, so you can call it an event. It, we really just interrupted this family's life. <laughs> but dude, I've made, I've done so many like shows that I was like, man, I don't want to fucking be here. And there'll be somebody in the crowd or some comic that's also on the show and it'll lead to more bookings and better shows or i've done really shitty independent movies that i'm like i'm just doing this for a little bit of side cash and you know paid practice this movie's never even going to come out and you know somebody who is a pa on that movie is now working on a big movie that i'm doing this may that's like fucking uh making me a lot of money so it's like you just you never know you you just gotta say yes to everything yeah so after um, you know, mom's driving you to the open mics, you're doing Jewish house parties. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about the breaks along the way that kind of, that you felt like made the biggest, uh, upswing and opportunity in your career that kind of got you to your, your, where you are now today. So, um, very, very, very long story short, I ended up getting a manager who owned a comedy club out of Atlanta. I moved to Atlanta the summer of my junior, senior year of high school and I worked at his club like nine to 11 shows a week, performing every show, every night, just building chops. And then from there, I knew I wanted to graduate high school early. So I went back to Ohio to start my senior year. And uh, I graduated early, moved out to L.A., slept on couches for the first two years. And um, I'd say I think it was my first <sighs> had to have been within nine months of being. Yeah, I think it was like the first six months um, I was performing at this this black club, uh, the comedy union down on Pico, uh, it's an urban club. Um, and I was having a really good set. It was one of the few clubs who had booked me at the time. Cause I was new to town, didn't know anybody. 
And um, out of there, the booker for BET's Comic View was there. And they put me, they booked me for uh, the reboot of the show that they were doing in Atlanta. So that was like my first real break. And then the show, I was the, I was the youngest person ever to be on the show. Got a standing ovation. <laughs> and uh, it never aired. They pulled, they pulled the entire <laughs> show after one episode. Something oh, happened man. with like the deal they had. And BET just pulled the entire show. Um, wow. but, but it gave me the confidence to be like, okay, maybe I can actually do something. And from there, uh, I booked a couple of, uh, small roles on Disney shows. And then, uh, I guess wild and out was like the first big thing that I had booked. I booked that when I was 18 and I had actually wow. auditioned for that when I was 16 in Atlanta and I didn't get mm. it. And I was so heartbroken about it. But then when I got the show when I was 18, I was like, oh, it was a good thing I didn't book it when I was 16 because I was not ready at all. Like my whole first season on that show was so bad. Like it was just, just learning and like trying to keep up. Um, it was um, life-changing in a lot of ways, more than professionally. Um, and from that, it gave me a little bit of a career boost, gave me like a legitimate, uh, that's what I'm looking for, uh, credit mm-hmm. and um, a, a bit of a fan base and, from there on out, I guess, I mean, I, I hosted the reboot of TRL, which was a fucking nightmare. Uh, um, <laughs> I did a bunch of stuff for MTV that I, you know, did for money, I suppose, which uh, taught me the hard way. Money does not buy happiness. I thought it would. It does not. You got to be happy <laughs> what you're doing, which apparently is stand up and acting. Yeah, that that's awesome. What a great that's a great like. Did you get that tape from that Atlanta that's show? That show. Yeah. No, they wouldn't give anybody their stuff either. I mean, they oh. own they own the rights to it. Yeah. The yeah. only evidence I have of it is a video on my Instagram. It's way far down when I'm like talking to the camera and bro, I I have like a child's voice. Still. Like, <laughs> hey guys, uh, yeah, this is that. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody. I had a great time at the tape. Dude, it's like, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> That's like the only evidence I even have from it. Oh, wow. That's yeah. crazy. And then, so then after, after wild and out, did that kind of give you the, you know, the, I don't know, like you said, the credits or the, the exposure to start booking some national dates, just club hitting the clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. From there, I, uh, around like my third season, my last season on there, um, was really the time that I started headlining shows, Mm -hmm. um, which was obviously a big jump. I had never had to do like an hour of material before you get comfortable being a feature because the easiest spot on the show, you're doing 20 minutes. It's in the middle of the show. They're already kind of warmed up. There's no pressure. Um, it's really, it's easy and it's really fun. You get to tour with people that you look up to. It's a great position. So when I started headlining, I had a little bit of a fan base, but I guess I wasn't quite, I, don't know, I wasn't ready. I, I, I mean, it's hard to say because I wasn't putting on the shows that I am like for the past three years of my career where it's like, I know I can put on a great hour long show. It was more just like, okay, here's everything I've ever written. And you guys are coming because you saw me on a TV show. Like now yeah. I'm finally getting to the point where I have like actual stand up fans. Yeah. What, what would you say? Is there, I know we'll talk more about writing later, but when it comes to um, you, the way you structure a 20 minute set versus an hour set, mm-hmm. is there anything that you do differently between those two opportunities? It's not just, not just longer, but is there any strategically, strategic things you do to set up that set list 
Not really. I and maybe I should be better at it. Um, some people are like, you know, some people will make a, a handwritten list in a notepad. Like I'm doing this joke, then to this joke, then to this joke. I kind of have a, a mental list in my head of like, I'd like to touch on this one and definitely want to hit this one and this one for a 20 minute set. Something that's mm-hmm. just more compact that you want to just boom, 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 boom with a little bit of time you have. But for an hour, it's more like, okay, I know what I want to start with and I know what I want to end with. Everything in between, I can. I'm just kind of free floating. Yeah. Um, and then from that, you learn what works before this joke and what works after this joke. Then you start moving it around. Like everything I'm doing right now is kind of still random. Um, like some of it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm working on my new special now and I want to film it next January, but I'd say I'm only like 25% done with it. And a lot of it, a lot of the transitions would need to be changed. Um, but I prefer the hour because I can really just, be loose and be myself. And that opens up opportunities for crowd work and riffing on bits that I, I want to just workshop. Uh, so, I mean, I prefer it a lot more. It's, it's looser. Yeah. Well, you did a great job. I, you, your set, I thought it was really interesting, like not to give away any of your material that you're working on, but the, the red flag chunk. Oh yeah. You were, you were like, you, you flowed so nicely between, you know, as you progressed through the, the different oh, notes that you had, you. and then you were able to crowd work in between. And it was almost like every time that you kind of brought the show back on track from that last point, it mm. was kind of a, it felt good as an audience member to yeah. me like, okay, now he's on number three. There's something like human in something about just human nature just likes a list. And I just lo- I loved it when you brought it back and said, okay, now we're done with that. We're, we're circling around. And I thought that was super unique. I haven't heard a lot of people do stuff like that before. And it kind of gave a little structure to the, to the set. Interesting. I, I love hearing stuff like that, not egotistically, but just because you don't, you don't know what people, you don't know exactly how people are perceiving what you're saying. I, I've done jokes before that I'm like, you know, this joke does okay. Um, and, but to me, it's like, it's so funny. Like, am I saying it wrong? Whatever it is. And I have, I had like a friend comic be like, it's because it comes across like this, but I'm like, well, that's not what I'm saying. Well, it sounds like that. And you'll go, fuck. Well, I, I had no idea it sounded like that. So I mean, I, I I appreciate the feedback. That's why whenever another comic has like, you know, uh, a punch up or a tag or any notes on a bit, I'm never going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't take notes. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I think it's stupid. I'll forget it. (laughs) Sometimes you need to hear it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's your responsibility to decide what to do with it, but yeah, know. yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah, you should never be so egotistical. You just get rid of everyone else's, uh, con- yeah. I think it's interesting because Brian and I are both getting a few more feature and, and now a few headline opportunities. So it's, I've noticed in my brain as, as these opportunities have come up, um, you know, it's interesting. My brain is really running like, what do I need to do differently here? Should I structure this Mm -hmm. differently? So just as a, as someone who's just getting a couple of those opportunities here and there, it's, it's really, uh, my brain's just turning a lot as I'm considering how to put a set together. That's a much longer than what I typically do. That's good. At least you're thinking about it. Some people are just like, ah, fuck it. We'll see what happens. (laughs) That's a good serious. That's actually a good question, Drew. Uh, I just, you know, I just did a headlining gig and there's always this like dip in the, I mean, I imagine you experience it at your level too, Matt. There's always a dip in the energy during your set. And it's just, you know, how do you, how do you, 
how do you handle that? How do you come back for that? Do you, you know, how do you not let that like take you down a dive? I mean, for me, I was like, all right, let me just pop off two that I know work and get the fuck out of here. This is the, <laughs> this is the end. But if you're going to have to well, make it an hour and there's a dip, how does that go? Well, I mean, the goal never had a dip. You want to have a fucking bow, 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 straight line of fire for an hour straight. That's the dream goal, right? Dream. Yeah. But um, there's, I mean, there's things sometimes you can't control, like uh, like the check dropping. Check usually drops about 35, 40, 40 35, 45 minutes into a set because they, they never know how long a headliner is going to do. It could be 45 minimum to hour, hour and a half. Um, check drop almost always puts some kind of lull of energy. Right. Because, you know, a lot, a lot of people are surprised at how much money they spend on the club. Or they're, you know, they're talking amongst themselves at the table, like, you know, you, you pay the bills. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of um, unnecessary banter. That's, it's out of your control completely. Um, some comics will have jokes prepared for that moment that talk about the check being dropped, and, and that, that's always funny. Um, or you can just try to structure it in a way that maybe – how do I say this? For me right now, uh, if I'm doing a full hour, uh, I have a joke that's uh, kind of a long story about 35 to 40, 35 minute mark. So it's like people can choose to listen to the story or not. They're not going to feel like they missed one independent, really good joke. It's a story. Choose to pay attention to it or not. At the end of it, it's going to be a big punchline. We all laugh. Awesome. Um, or you can break it up and you can be like, do I want to just waste this five minutes with a couple of short little jokes while, you know, that only 65, 75% of the audience is really listening to right now because they're handling that moment. Um, so I mean, there's different ways to structure your set around what's going to be happening at the club at the time you expect a lull. Uh, but if, if you mean materialistically or, uh, or energy wise, um, that's sometimes, sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's your energy. Sometimes you'll get so comfortable. Like for me, mm. when I first started doing an hour, I'd be like, well, I'll just sit down on the stool at the 40 minute mark. Cause everyone knows I'm comfortable. I'm so comfortable, but not realizing you still have to keep their attention. Yeah. I mean, some, sometimes, a, sometimes you can get too comfortable. That's a great point. Ah. Like, yeah. We wouldn't even like, yeah. If you get, if you get into a rhythm and you start shutting down with, <laughs> with your inner delivery energy, the audience is going to mirror that back to you. Absolutely. Yeah. If you come out rapid fire and then people are just, Oh, I don't have a moment to breathe. That's what they're going to be expecting for an hour. So yeah. for me, I don't, I don't love having a really high energy comedian open for me because that's not my energy or my style. And I don't want the crowd to expect that, or I don't mm -hmm. want to have to bring them back down to like a listening level. Um, yeah. so, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of factors that, that come into play and you just have to see what works best for you. It's, that's the thing about this job is like, there's no, there's no blueprint. Everybody in every show is going to be different. It is, it is pretty smart though. We, we talk a lot about just being comfortable on stage and that, that is a big part of connecting and, and getting the audience to, to follow you along. But then you, you're like, Hey, that could be taken too far. That can go, you're too comfortable on stage. So you do have to find that the right balance. That's Absolutely. And, and that was a thing that took other comics telling when I was um, preparing my hour for the special, I mean, months beforehand, but I was telling people, this is what I want to do. Um, I would have veteran comics like finesse Mitchell has, has been a friend of mine since I was like 16. Um, I was, I was opening for him in, um, Richmond, Virginia. 
at a club called Sandman Comedy Club, which I'm going to be at in a couple of months. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> Shameless plug. Check and the dates, MattRife.com. <laughs> it was a it was a two man show, so he was like, "Do forty. I want to see what you're working on." And I put and I started doing this bit. Now the bit, to me, the reason I sat down is because I'm all right, I'm settling into a story, so I want everyone to like also feel leaned in and comfortable. And he was like, "When you do that, you lose the energy. It feels mm-hmm. like you it feels like you don't want to perform this story. <laughs> it sounds like you just want to tell people like you're talking on the phone." I was like, really? He was like, I promise you. He was like, do it again the same way you just did it. Do it and think about what I told you. And I did it exactly the same way, sat down. And I noticed, I was like, oh yeah, some of the punches don't hit as well. I was like, okay, now let me act this out a little bit more, put more energy into this moment and not sit down. And the joke worked three times better, I'd say. So crazy how sometimes the smallest change mm-hmm. does make a difference. And that's why I guess it's so important to go back and watch your sets, listen to your tapes and and find those little tweaks because um, it's wild how the, sm- the smallest edit can take a joke from silence to a, a big laugh. Absolutely. However, at the end of the day, it is precision. Um, I'm working on a joke right now that uh, I'm not going to ruin it. Maybe you guys remember from the show. Uh, it's um, not very PC. Uh, it's, uh, it definitely has potential to be offensive. And um, and I, under- I can 100% understand why certain people wouldn't like it. But literally yesterday... The reason I'm I'm determined to figure this joke out and make it work is because although, yes, it can be offensive to some people and, and it shouldn't be because it's coming from a, a, a non-offensive place. And it's and if you listen to the context of the joke and who's saying it and how it's being said, it shouldn't be offensive, but it is a, a triggering topic. As, as much as I understand that and respect that a percent of every audience I ever do this for, it might not be comfortable with it. The first time I ever tried this joke and why it made me want to keep doing it is I literally had a guy stand up like 10 rows back in the crowd. He stood up and said, yo, repeated the punchline. It said, is the funniest shit I've ever heard. (laughs) And I was just riffing on it. I was like, fuck, maybe there is something to it. And then yesterday, I think I still have a screenshot of it. Um Guy messaged me. Oh, I didn't screenshot it. I oh wait, 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 wait. Oh, I can't though. I can't show it because I'll give it away. But he goes, he DM'd me from a show I did a week prior. He goes, funniest joke I've heard in years, and then quoted the punchline for it. Great job at this show. I'm still laughing at that. So it's like I have to decide: is making certain people laugh so hard at something <laughs> worth this joke? Probably never working 100% of the time. I, I feel like it, it's a joke relating to gender. Fair enough. Is that the one you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fair. So, 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 like, I feel like you may be more in your head than you need to be on it. Like, I feel like you, mm-hmm. you, you would kind of talk about it before you go on stage. And, like, I don't think you need to worry about how it, it, it hit and you know it's funny. Uh, uh-huh. And I, I think you're right if you, if you look at the context of it. That you don't need to worry about it. I mean, of course, you can always worry, especially with the with the with the social media following that you have. That somebody takes it out of context, mm-hmm. they can do that now. I mean, they, they could it could already be done. It's already out there. That's true. Uh, yeah. You know? And the thing the thing is, uh, and one thing I have been mindful of, and I never like go out of my way to make it a point, but the people who 
should or could be affected by the subject matter of this joke after the show. Like I always do meet and greets and stuff. No one has ever come up to me and be like, I didn't like that. Please, please don't do that. There's going to be people in the crowd who are like, uh, I just don't know if I should laugh at that. Right. And that's, that, but that's fine. That's what it is. That's comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like it's subjective and it's never going to be for everybody. You can, yeah. you can do a joke a hundred times that gets you a standing ovation, post it online, 99% approval rate. People fucking love it. You're always going to have somebody go, this sucks. <laughs> this isn't even funny. So it's like, yeah. At the end of the day, everything's your choice. That's the responses. And Drew is a fan of the groans. He likes it when he gets the groan response. Oh, is there anything like better than a oh? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I say response is response. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll take, take that. I'll take that any day. That means I surprised them. That means <laughs> I that was a great misdirect and they didn't see it coming and maybe it was a little dark. I, but I, I love that. What does that I, say about us? We love, we, love, <laughs> we love a hint of chaos. Yeah, I think the general rule I've always heard from comics have told me is basically if you're going to tell a dark or a dirty joke, it needs to be funnier than it is dark or funnier than it is offensive. Or, so yeah, as long as you have those. It's offensive or something. Yeah, yeah, it, it has to. And it, and it has to be coming from a genuine place of like, you're not a bad guy. You're just doing a joke. And yeah. that's just where being genuine comes across people can read that from a mile away people can tell if you're pandering people can tell if you're coming from like oh he's actually being a dick you know right i have like one joke in my set that is like kind of a nazi joke and i don't do nazi jokes but this one's kind of personal to me because it's about a tattoo and i like i like tattoos or whatever Mm -hmm. and i will i although i sometimes cut that out of my set um it gets a groan and it makes me happy and there's something like I like that. I go, ha ha, I got you. You didn't see that coming. And that's just for me. So some, uh, I think in your set, you should have something for you sometimes. So that's the one for me. Oh, yeah. I have plenty of more now more than ever. I'm finding like <laughs> this is this is more for me than the audience. And the, yeah. you're always going to you're going to have your fans. You know what I mean? If it, I've never of all the material I've had in fucking 11 years doing comedy. I haven't had people have such a reaction to a punchline that makes me be like, huh, this, and I, and I keep doing it because not for the reaction, but because it's funny to me. So I'm determined to get you to understand why it's funny so you can laugh at it as well. So yeah, you, the the longer I do comedy, the more I do it for me, which I think is uh, very important for your own health. That's just for your health, right? Yeah, exactly. Literally, you can't like me and Brian perform a lot running that show every week. And if we did the same exact set for a couple weeks in a row, and we probably have done pretty similar sets, you know, Uh, we're trying to get better about, you know, being more explorative and trying more new material, crowd work and all sorts of stuff. I think we've been better about that in the last couple of months than we have been for a while. And that's been fun. But telling the same jokes in every night back to back, like a road Mm -hmm. comic, that's got to be a little brutal. Oh, absolutely. You, you you have to push yourself. I got so complacent with the hour I was doing before I put out the special. And it was jokes that I was just getting tired of doing. I knew a lot of people had knew them. And it was the best thing I ever could have done. Because when I put out the special, I was like, no more. Don't do that shit anymore. Force me to write new shit. And now when I'm doing my full hour, I only repeat like, I think, two jokes that I did on my special, which, you know, 
I only put it out like three months ago, so it's not yeah. bad. Um, <laughs> I, I, you just—it's discipline. That's all it is. Yeah. Speaking of which, we should probably maybe we should hop into that clip. Yeah, it's actually well time. We were talking about offensive and stuff. So I've got a, a quick little clip, Matt, from OnlyFans. It's actually right up top. Not because I didn't do my research. I watched okay. the whole thing, but I, I, I think it, I think it's good. I think you'll okay. like it. Shoot. Play. You guys uh, ready to be offended? <laughs> No, don't fucking say that and then go on Twitter afterwards like, oh, Matt has some opinions of his own and end my fucking career, okay? Just want to have a good time tonight, all right? Comedy almost isn't fun, okay? Happen to adhere to everybody's sensitivities. Since when? That shit is so new. Remember like three years ago when no one gave a fuck about how you felt? Like three years ago, if you were in public and we were like, I don't like, a stranger would come up and be like, shut up, bitch, and punch you in your chest. Like, ah. Now I hurt on the outside and the inside. Uh, I feel like we've gotten so sensitive as a society, man. We've gotten so soft. Like fresh out the pool dick soft. That, all the fellas understand that. You get out that cold water, you don't even recognize yourself anymore. You're like, whose dick is this? Who put a baby dick on me? <laughs> That's how I feel like we are as a society, man. Just all and soft. Uh, it's exhausting. <laughs> man. Uh, the metamorphosis of the hair so many times in editing i'm so sick of it <laughs> I, I figure as much it's pretty fresh uh, but I, I gotta tell you like uh, your your social commentary you always have you know uh, whether we talk about gender you talk about dating uh race quite a bit you have a, a really good handle on social commentary especially for a young man uh like yourself and then you, you're able to kind of take it into these punchlines which are kind of silly and fratty and fun like baby dick like it's cool to watch <laughs> yeah. it's cool to watch that transition in such a short period of time but be able to also be able to talk to tackle these bigger issues and make fun mm -hmm. of them and, and no of course that this whole special for me I, there was a lot of things that i just wanted to like mention once so that i don't have to do it anymore in my stand-up like Everybody being offended at comedy. Like, that's a subject that's kind of been beaten to death, as although it is still wildly relevant. So it was like, okay, let me touch on it in the beginning of the show, say one thing about it, and then I don't have to mention it anymore. Same with, um, I do a bit about, like, you know, my looks, like, ten, like eight or ten minutes into the special. I wanted to do that whole chunk in this special and put it out there so that I don't have to talk about that anymore either because everyone always fucking brings up my looks when it comes to stand up. It's like, okay, cool. All right. I get that you think I'm this. I get that you see me as this or whatever. But now that I've talked about that, can I just be a comedian? Can I just talk about silly, funny shit? So, yeah. I mean, it, all, it all has a, a purpose. And, you know, a lot of it is aggravating sensitivity <laughs> stuff. But, just, you know, sometimes you also need to set that tone for the crowd. If I'm about to do some offensive material, might be might be okay to open the show, with, like, just letting everyone know, like, hey, you know, this is a safe space. Uh, I'm going to say some things. But, like, we, we need to be strong and have a good time. Yeah, and I, I know, I mean, for being such a young comic, it clearly shows that you you definitely started very early because I think the tone of, the, of your delivery is so conversational. Mm. And that's something that, you when you go to an open mic and see people who've only been doing it for a year or two, you never get conversational. That's something that seems right. to like, only come joke. with time. Yeah, here's a joke. Yeah, joke yeah, one yeah. punchline. Joke two punchline. That's one thing that I've been trying to hone in on the past couple of years is like trying to figure out, you know, what is my style? What is my voice on stage? Because 
especially for for an hour long set. It's like, what, who are you going to be for an hour? How, how are you going to set the tone for your energy? And just naturally, I've kind of felt that like, that's kind of my style, I guess, is I, every show kind of feels like a conversation. That's a lot of, um, feedback I get a lot is like everything that people will be like, it felt, felt very personal, felt yeah. like we were just kind of hanging out and you were just talking to us. And I like that because I mean, I suppose in everyday life, it's when I'm the funniest is when I'm just hanging out with my friends or girlfriend or wh- whoever it may be. Like once I'm comfortable with you and it just feels like we're shooting the shit, that's when you're going to be naturally the funniest rather than like, here's a, here's a joke that I hope you like, you know, there's like less of a presentation. The only yeah. time I'm worried about that is once I start doing more theaters, uh, I've done quite a few theaters in the past, like opening for people. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, then I'm only doing like 15, 25 minutes. Um, but I'm curious because when you're doing a theater, you have to perform more. You do have to change your delivery because it's a much larger room. The people sitting, you know, 500 people back don't want to feel like you're having a conversation with the people in the front that they're not a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, now granted, Maybe I become so famous and successful for doing that, that people will come just to listen from wherever. And maybe people will already know that's my style. That's what I'm going to see. And that's fine. That'd be great if I can just be myself. But um, if or when I get to that level, um, I'm sure I'll have to make some tweaks to it. Yeah. Do you you feel like your onstage persona is has grown closer to your offstage persona or do you see a difference there or feel a difference between those, how you are off and on stage? Hmm. Um, they're pretty similar. I mean, you're always going to be a little bit of an exaggerated version. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely play into like, uh, charmingly naive or ignorant, character i suppose um yeah. so i think that's what people expect from me anyways i just look like every fucking frat dude ever who doesn't know <laughs> shit about shit but is so opinionated yeah uh so i mean i i play into it a little bit and because it's it's funny it's a funny character to play however um when you see me being comfortable and like talking to the crowd and stuff like that that is it's, it's pretty close to me um it's maybe a little bit higher energy than i am and i'm i'm pretty chill yeah, I'd say that. I mean, even in our interactions the other weekend, I would say that's true. like you are yourself. Feels like you're kind of yourself, but higher energy and definitely turned yeah. up, turned up a few notches on stage. Yeah, sure, as as you should be. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But, but I just mean like, I mean, you know, in comparison to comics, who you know, you know, some comics get on stage and they're like, "What's going on, everybody?" And then they get off stage and like, "Hey, what's up, man? What's how's it going?" <laughs> my, like, it's, my, not, it's not that drastic, you know. My favorite ones are that there's some comics that get on stage. There's a couple that are really good that I've worked with recently, and uh, this girl will get up on stage and act incredibly nervous. And her character on stage is like this nervous Nelly. And then she gets off stage and she's just chill, fun person. But that's the, that's her on stage persona. And it works and she gets laughs and it's great. But, um, you know, she's it's you know, very strategic. It's very, you know, who does that character very well. Um, Jeremy Hotz. You know, who that is. I'm not sure I know him. He's a Canadian comic. Um, he works in LA a lot as well. I mean, he was very big in like the nineties and stuff. He's an older guy, probably like oh, 50, 60. He's that guy that kind of like whimpers. He's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 That's his yeah. whole, and the characters, it's very funny, but you talk to him backstage. He's, just like this. He's very normal. Right. I remember he had a bit about, he had a bit about how he was nervous because his garbage, ma- like something happened and he had like, he spilled like 
uh, he, for some reason, he had like a feminine product and some ketchup or something happened in the in his house, and he put it uh-huh. in, the, in the trash can, and he was like, "My garbage man's gonna think I had a terrible accident or something yeah. like that." And yeah, that guy was, was hilarious. Very, I always wonder how people get perso- stage personas like that. Like, is that something that just kind of developed on stage from actually being nervous? And you're like, oh. Maybe I can play into that. People like that character. Or if, or if you went into it being like, I know this is going to be funny. I'm just going to try to be this. <laughs> well, that's Very like the story of, man. I think yeah. that's kind of the story of Andrew Dice Clay was like, that was just like a, a weird persona that he'd do in his, in his act a little bit. And then eventually uh-huh. it took over his entire act. I think I did hear the same thing. Okay. It worked out. Yeah, for sure. Let, let's, let's do this because we ask everybody this question uh, about writing. So really mm-hmm. open-ended. Uh, how does Matt Rife, right comedy man that's so tough and even i don't know the answer um actually now that i'm finally back in la for like a, a big chunk of time i've been gone non-stop this year um which is a great problem to have but uh even i lack the discipline uh, i don't i don't write every day um and i should i wish i could um most of my material will happen something will happen in life and I'll be riffing on it and it'll be killing with my friends or whatever. I'm like, man, I want to write this down. This is a very funny topic. And then I can go home and just kind of make it into like a conversational bit, um, so to speak. But now my first real experience with being like, oh, maybe I can do this was like maybe a month after I shot my special. I went up to D.C. where a friend of mine, Martin Amini, runs a, a great room that sells out like it's only like 60 people, but he sells out literally every single day of the week. It's a great crowd. And I was like, I want to come just work out new shit. Like I go into doing a 45 minute set with no material whatsoever. And went to a coffee shop at like 10, 10 30 in the morning. And uh, I sat there till like 5 PM just working on like two bits and I got them done. I did them the first night I was there. And uh, now it's now they're my opening and closing bits for my new hour. So it was oh, like if I, I realized if I sit down and I have a general base of something I think could be funny and other people will like it, then I can craft it into something. So actually starting, well, hopefully today I'll have some time. I want to like actually I want to do the same process, just go somewhere and be outside and just force myself turn off my phone don't get on social media or anything don't listen to music like just sit down and look like a crazy person at coffee bean just doing this (laughs) (laughs) you look absolutely insane because you're just you're just thinking it's you're not you're not writing it freehand being like oh we'll just we'll see what goes along you're just going (laughs) (laughs) like sir did you lose your macbook what's going on (laughs) you just look like a fucking psychopath (laughs) Well, also, that's a good strategy. I mean, I think that um, probably something I've done too much and maybe a lot of comics feel this is we spend a lot of time polishing turds instead of mm-hmm. investing in a and in, in, in when you find a bit that really is good, it kind of happens and you, you get excited about it and you write and it's yeah. all it's good stuff. But sometimes we're we want to make a joke work so hard and it's not really organically going to ha- happen. It's not mm-hmm. happening and you're trying to force it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, I've had plenty of those. Like, oh, this is going to be great. You try it a few times, you're like, fuck, maybe this just doesn't work. All right, that's fine. That's fine. Whatever. But I mean, everyone, again, this is something that it's all up to you. Everybody's process is different. I know Neil Brennan sits down and writes like three hours a day. You can just sit down at a desk and fuck it, write. Uh, and I know like Dane Cook doesn't write anything down. He just goes on stage and riffs on a topic. 
and just kind of works it out on things that he's mentally prepared for. Um, and I guess I'm just kind of right in the middle of that. Yeah. I think like I think like those guys like Neil are are, are natural writers and mm. and I think you're more of a natural performer. Uh, not to say that you don't probably. write, but no, no, no. I, I think I probably agree on that continuum. That's you probably land more on that side than writing. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And it's like you know you can't force it. If you're not that, you're not that. Mm. However, it's like you know it's like going to the gym. If you don't like lifting your legs, it's fine. You don't have to. But if you want to be more well rounded, probably try it. A little bit. Time. <laughs> I'm actually at, I'm at that lifetime. So Matt's one of the few comics that took me up to come to the lifetime. I'm here right now, dude. Uh, dude, are you are you in the yeah. office space? I'm, I am. Yeah. Are, are you in one of the little pods? I am. That's oh exactly man, right. dude, it was so sick. You know yeah. the best thing about that gym? Didn't see a single dick in the locker room. It was very classy. <laughs> oh, it's full of dicks when I'm here. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it's good. That's another thing too, man. When you're on the road, you got to take care of yourself. Uh, something that obviously you take very seriously. That a lot of comics forget about, let slip, and uh, can really bite them. Oh yeah, you got to have some kind of routine, man. I mean, comedy unfortunately can't be your entire life. Yeah, I, I, you see so many comics that hit the road and they're hilarious, and it seems like the funnier they get, the fatter they get. <laughs> yeah, you're like you know they're working all the time, and you're like, this guy's real funny. Well, there's also <laughs> nothing funny about a, a, a what movie is it? Well, it's a uh, I think it was Funny People with Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Joe, I think. Oh fuck! Was that it? Was that the movie? Somebody, somebody uh, Jonah Hill says it in some movie. I think that's the movie where he's like, "There's nothing funny about a physically fit man." <laughs> yeah. they want to see you fat they want to see you out of shape they want to laugh They're, they want to expect to laugh at you more than with you yeah there's something about there is something about feeling superior to the person telling jokes or something like that there's something oh, yeah. about that they like the self-deprecation they like feeling there's something going on there in the psychology of comedy performance that mm-hmm. if you get up and you're this good looking guy with ripped abs and you're funny it's like it makes them sad in the audience yeah. <laughs> like yeah. wait fucking weird, he looks great he's in shape and he's funnier than me i'm gonna go home and hang myself i don't know what's going on you it's- are i was gonna say you are supposed like there's a thing in comedy where if you're if you're if you do because you're in good shape you're a good looking guy right like you have to you're supposed to have to disarm the guys on dates because they're, they're like, oh, my chick's into this guy. Mm-hmm. But I think you figured out a way to do it. A lot of people say you have to dress it right up top. And you didn't do it in your special. We just watched how you started your special. Um, you're able to do it in your charm. And you're able to connect, like you said. You're just like an, another one of their frat guys or something. Like, oh, this I like this dude. I, 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 I could imagine hanging out with this guy when I was in college. And that's how I literally felt. And so I wasn't worried about you stealing my girl. Uh, <laughs> Good, because I will. That's exactly how I'm going to Good. I want you to feel unthreatened, and then I fucking swoop in, and now I raise your kids. <laughs> no, it's um, – I mean, Matt, that's exactly – steal your girl, Rife. Yeah. <laughs> that's – I mean, you're right. I didn't open with it, but that was another reason I wanted to do a chunk about my looks in the first special because it's like, again – I get it. I know you think this thing of me, but in reality, this is how I see myself. So it's like, yeah, everyone should just chill the fuck out. Like I, I'm sorry your girlfriend finds me attractive or whatever, but it's like, I can, I'm here to make you laugh. I'm not here to fuck her. Like I, I don't care about that at all. And you're right. I, I think if I just, if I can come across as being genuine and somebody they want to hang out with, which you know, hopefully I am, then um, hopefully they get the fuck over it sooner or later. That's the goal. I, I, dude, I can't, I'd say the yeah. number one compliment I get, it's a, it's a favorite 
a least favorite and most common is dudes will come up to after the show and be like, you know, I did when you first came out, I didn't, I didn't want to like you, but you were really funny. You really made me laugh. And I, I really didn't want to like you. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> it's just, it's, it fucks with you a little bit to know that's what people are thinking. Cause that, that would feel so like, nar- is it narcissistic or like egotistical to be like, Oh, everyone already thinks this of everyone thinks I'm so good looking or whatever. Like that sounds crazy to think out loud, but it's like, fuck. Yeah. People actually do think I'm like a douchebag and that I'm not going to be funny. Yeah. It's a weird thing to have to navigate. And also the natural response might be to a, you know, a lesser comic might to be, I know I look good, but uh, you know, and you, oh, end yeah, up yeah, 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 playing, yeah. you end up leaning into that stereotype and making it worse than yeah. disarming. <laughs> yeah. But luckily we have fuck boys to give us endless <laughs> material. And I fit the, I fit the, the description perfectly. So I can always play into that. And, I don't mind self-deprecating because I don't take myself serious at all. So it's not like I'm doing it for their pleasure. It's more like, Hey guys. Yeah. I, I know I look like this. It's fine. It's fine. I, I, I could, I fuck your girl. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm older close or, I'm, or laugh, you know? <laughs> uh, another thing we like to get into with writing is uh, preparing for a set. Uh, are you a set list guy? Do you, uh, how, how tightly do you stick to that set list? And is yeah. there also anything at the very last second before you step on stage that you do to prepare for that, for that performance? No, I mean, I feel like we kind of talked about that earlier with like the hour versus like a 20 minute thing. No, yeah. I don't really, I don't particularly plan like beat by beat by beat. Usually um, I usually know what I want to end with. And I know the first like bit that I want to open with usually. However, most shows, I'd say like 85% of shows, I like to start out with something, not necessarily topical, but like something with somebody in the crowd or the venue or something something in the moment to mm-hmm. make the show seem, how do I say this? Uh, make it seem... Authentic or genuine or something. Not again. Not that I'm like coming out there to be like, all right, joke number one. It's just like, hey, I'm I'm here. Mm-hmm. Let's fucking talk about the situation. Same as if we sat down at lunch at a weird looking restaurant, or if there, we sat down at a restaurant and there was somebody dressed fucking weird to the side. Wouldn't we sit down and be like, what the fuck is this? You know what I mean? Like just kind of being in the moment, and I want the show to feel like that. And yeah, then we so can transition into bits that I want to do. That's a, and that's, I think the kind of a veteran move. I was at an open uh, or not an open mic. It was actually a, a little show over at this comedy club in town. And a, one of the great Houston comics, Zod Devji mm-hmm. um, walks in the room and the lighting was kind of funny. And I was about to go on stage and he kind of noticed, he's like, it looks like, it looks like, you know, Batman forever in here. Cause it was <laughs> like green and blue. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, how could I have missed to take a look at the surroundings and 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 comment on that like don't don't miss those opportunities for what's mm-hmm. going on in the room because it really does kind of ground everyone like okay he's here he's in the room with us yeah. he sees what we see we're in this together yeah it's 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 a lot like acting in the sense that like you have to be true to the moment like you know if somebody fucking if somebody's wearing a gigantic fucking hat in the front row of a comedy show 
and you don't acknowledge it, people are gonna be like, does he not see this? Like it's, <laughs> that would be just, you know, it'd be distracting me. How does he not notice that? Like people want to feel like you're genuinely in the moment. And I also want to feel like that. They can bait you though. I remember we had, I think it was Jeremiah Watkins was on the show and there's this woman, who was she dressed as Drew? Like a cockroach. A, a cockroach. Is it a Halloween show? No. No. And Her Jeremiah's husband, like, leave it they alone. can't. They, he was in a suit and she was a cockroach and they said it was a men in black cosplay thing. Uh-huh. Everyone else was dressed regular. Yeah. It was like two months ago. Yeah. And he was and, like, don't, don't touch it. He's like, just leave it alone. They want attention. Like, just leave it alone. Like, it's an interesting technique. I, yeah. I would feel needed to say something about it, but I'd probably say something mean to shut down whatever ego they have going on looking for attention. I'd probably, I probably, I would, do something similar, but I would still want to make a joke at their expense. I, he, ev- obvious. he eventually did it. I think it was him trying to have us leave it alone so we can get to it. Maybe uh, <laughs> quite honestly, but yeah, that's, always, that, that's a good move. That's a good <laughs> move. He shut us down from talking about it. So he could be the only one. <laughs> I believe that a hundred percent. That's a solid move actually. Uh, <laughs> veteran, uh, veteran move. All right. I see what you're doing. Let's, let's fire off uh, last laugh and uh, we'll get this thing going. I'll play this graphic. That's weird. I know, dude. All right. Uh, That's a tough one. I know it is. So uh, the, the deal is, uh, what is the joke that you want written on your tombstone? It doesn't have to be a joke. It be a bit. It doesn't have to be yours. It can be somebody else's. Uh, it could be, I don't care. It could be a picture of a dick. It doesn't matter. But uh, what, do you, what would you want on your tombstone? Mm, joke that I would want on my tombstone. Um... I would want, you know, here lies Matt Reif, 1995 to whatever year. And I want winner of the 2025 NAACP award. Just so people people have to Google it. (laughs) Hold on. Is he black? Is this the same guy? No, this white guy keeps coming up. This can't be him. <laughs> just like Something a comic trying to put fuck up everybody. Just like a comic trying to get credits. <laughs> always trying yeah, to always exactly. trying to keep putting live out credits. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get into heaven. Like, come on, I was on Comic View. Come on. <laughs> you know what's, work, you know what's really agitating you? about this is um, I, I I tried to text him, but I think he's working right now. Uh, my friend used to live next door to we would get high every single night we would smoke weed and we would just things would ran like random sentences would come up they'd be like this is just a funny fucking sentence with no context whatsoever and he has a in his phone that's literally a list of things i want him to say at my funeral with no <laughs> context like just oh, wow. he, there must be 30 things on that i can't think of any of them but it's like he has an entire list in his notes. It's it's random shit like uh, Mexicans love parks. <laughs> Just shit that you have to be like, fuck, yeah, they do. And now that I've said that, every time you pass a park, you will see a, a Hispanic family. I promise. I promise. It sounds like you need to put some like emotional music behind that and have him read it. And, oh yeah, and with no context, I want yeah. I want him to end the list of people being like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" <laughs> Rest in peace, Matt. I don't know why it's so funny to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do this, man. Uh, OnlyFans. We're gonna talk about it for a minute and let people know where they can get it and what it's all about. Yeah. Um. Uh, my debut hour special is on YouTube right now. It's 
for free. Um, it's just called Matt Rife <clears throat> Only Fans. Uh, produced it with uh, just myself and a bunch of friends of mine who are very talented and uh, couldn't have done it without the fans that I already had. And hopefully it's going to make me uh, a lot more and so we can continue to have good shows. I think people will really like it. Um, like I said, if it's if you've seen me live in the past couple of months or plan on seeing me in the next year, it's all different stuff. So it's all separate material. You won't see any like repeated stuff. I don't believe. Uh, and yeah, I think I think you'll really like it. Absolutely. And what's your uh, socials and stuff like that? Uh, everything is just at Matt Reif. M A T. Well, you, they, they see it right here. Yeah. If you can read, you can find him on the internet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, well, Matt, thanks for doing it, man. So much fun talking this comedy with you. Uh, so, so great working with you, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Dude, I, I love this stuff. Hit me up. Any, I, w- I want to do this again sometime. I could talk about this stuff for hours. I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me at the club, and hopefully I'll see you guys soon. Absolutely, you, man. Thanks Peace. for the time. Thanks Later, guys. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.